Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles. Sorry, sometimes I just make myself laugh. And from the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg, from the caregiverspaces.org. Sound effects. Anyway, we're coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio and iTunes and YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, and all the rest. In fact, we're proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60 and number two caregiver podcast on CaringVillage.com. And we have an exciting show planned for you today, don't we, Adrian? Yeah, we do. Author of As Fate Would Have It, this true story is about a man in his mid-30s who is a race car driver, and he crashes, and his death is imminent. And at that moment between life and death, the past and the present merge, and time stands still. It sounds so poetic. And in just a few seconds, he relives his entire life. And we're going to talk to Art about how his experiences correspond with what many caregivers are going through and how everything happens for a reason. Art, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. The book is, I'm actually republishing the book on Amazon uh, because the book really is more about the choices we make in life. And yes, as fate would have it, is, is, is part of it. Because Are you going to, are you going to give it a different title? Yeah, it's going to be choices, as fate would have it. Oh, I like that much better, Art. Good choice. As fate would have it. Yes, much better title. Anyway, um, before I talk to my guests, I'd like to ask them a question. Who the heck is Art Dinick, and why was he placed on this earth? That's your first question, Art. Well, I can give you the old catechism answer, but <laughs> other than that, uh, I basically... Uh, I've been an engineer all my life. Racing was a hobby. I've raced just about everything you can conceive of. Uh, and uh, the book is about, really it's not about it, but in 1977, I had that horrific race car accident. Car rolled over three times. Wow. Uh, I was taken to the hospital, spent six months for third-degree burns. And uh, then I got out, and I went back to racing because I, I knew I had to, and I resumed <laughs> my life. Get back on the horse, huh? Yes. Wow. What what kind of a person is a race car driver? You know, Paul Newman, wasn't he a race car driver too? Yes, he was. Yes, he yeah, was. these are all real he-men, you know, and there's just something about yeah. a race car and a he-man that, that they were just like made of the same material. Can you explain that for those people out well, there who don't get it? I for me, uh, I was a very insecure person, okay? Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. And because I was insecure, I had to prove to myself that I could do it. 
You needed all that uh, metal around you to strengthen you? No, it just, uh, <laughs> I, by, by racing, I was putting myself up against other people and proving basically to myself that I could win, that I uh, really wasn't a loser. Um, and, you know, but I've had that insecure feeling, and I think probably a lot of race car drivers secretly are um, insecure and racing is a way to get around that problem. Interesting. So did you win a lot of races? Yeah, I won uh, a lot of races. I've got a couple sure. hundred trophies. Um, wow. And uh, I've raced, like I said. A hundred? Huh? Were you a hundred. part of a racing team or were you by yourself or what? I had different partners. Well, that's an interesting past, Art. Um, and now you mentioned uh, that you were an engineer also, uh, working for Exxon or something like that? I worked for Exxon uh, as an employee for about uh, 35 years and then as a consultant for them for another uh, 10 or 12 years. And then I went to work uh, for Nighthawk Engineering. Um, and uh, with them, we developed a... Um, a method of turning garbage into uh, usable gas, and also I developed. Uh, huh? No, really, it's town gas, methane, and hydrogen. We took garbage, really heavy garbage, and uh, converted it to methane and hydrogen. Uh, and then, of course, you can separate out the hydrogen or separate out the methane, which is natural gas that you use in your house. How come we can't have our cars running on garbage like uh, Back to the Future movie did? I don't know. I suspect someday <laughs> we'll get off the electric kick and get around to uh, doing something like that. I know. Uh, electricity. They probably don't have enough electricity to run all the electric cars in the world if everybody converted. Uh, I wonder if they thought about that. Anyway, that's no, a subject for another show. <laughs> I think they do. Uh, how did your accident change your way of thinking? Well, all right. I made a lot of choices and decisions in life. Everybody makes choices. You know, you, you get up in the morning and you have to make a choice of what you're going to do for the day and all that. And um, a number of choices that I made, I had been thinking were really bad. Okay. And I just didn't see everything. But. When I relived my entire life uh, in a couple of brief seconds, I saw how everything fit together like the pieces of a puzzle. And um, um, I, I realized that a lot of the choices I made, I really didn't have the free will to make them. And uh, they were made basically, uh, you know, we say by fate, but really i meant by fate is a supreme being said okay look this is real this is kind of really a choice you got to make because if you make this choice you'll get to the goal that you know you're ultimately supposed to do uh and the the, the bad choices were really just a step in the overall process of getting someplace uh, for one thing and uh honestly um uh, uh, when I was a young engineer and I had just started to work for Exxon, um, we were living in an apartment and my wife left me with my one-year-old kid and took off to go to California. 
I got a lawyer to get her back. And um, I, I really led like a kind of lonely life for a year or so. And I met a girl that was really a wonderful woman. But th then it kept bothering me that, you know, uh, you know, being a Catholic, oh, you can't get remarried. You can't get divorced. But for that sake, I went back with her. And a couple of years later, along came my son, Mike, who was really the joy of my life. And if I hadn't gone back with her, I, I never would have had the son that I really was closest to. Yeah, fate and choices. They go together, don't they? Yes. Yeah, a lot of caregivers, same thing. You know, uh, people become caregivers not by choice usually, but by fate. Something happens, loved one uh, has an accident or gets sick, and, and boom, they're a caregiver. Now, all of a sudden, they've got a lot of choices. Well, what should I do? I can't tell you how many people, when I went to my stroke support group, that my wife had a stroke, uh, they were all alone because they said that their spouse just left them, filed divorce papers while they were still in the hospital. And so that was a choice, you know, and... And they're probably living with guilt or whatever. You know, there's consequences to choices, aren't there? Yes, there are. Uh, and, you know, uh, I'll just second one. What I came home from work one day and uh, the apartment was empty and there was a note on a table. So long sucker. I mean, it was, you know, a catastrophe for me. But, you know, it, it did work out in the end. I made the right choices. I mean, eventually we got divorced. and. Uh, I ended up uh, marrying a woman, and we've been married for 38 years happily. Um, yeah, the other thing. Choice, is, huh? Is, is, yeah, you, you know, you talk about your caregivers and, and problems. Uh, you know, they, they should never dwell on, you know, their past mistakes and really just move on. And really what I say is don't ever let anybody tell you, no, you can't do something. Okay. <laughs> I've been told, no, you couldn't do something many, many times in my life. And uh, I didn't listen. I went on and did it anyway. And that worked out for you, huh? Yes. Yes. And, you know, it's just something in, in yourself that just yeah. makes you do it. You just don't want to dwell on the past. and. You don't want somebody to tell you, no, you can't do it. And I, I can't give you an example. Uh, when, I, when I was in high school, I was uh, basically number one in my class. And uh, I had determined that, you know, I wanted to study engineering. Okay. Uh, and uh, the New Jersey Department of uh, Labor came in and they were using our high school class as a test, um, you know, test model. And they gave us two days worth of testing, okay? And we were putting square pegs and square holes, round pegs and round holes, picking out a pair of pliers. And, and I, it was just an extensive two days of testing. And then a month later, uh, they came back and they set up all these offices and everybody in my high school class, which is about 150, you know, all waiting to go in to see the guy that's going to tell them what they're supposed to do in life. And I went in there and he had, put this paper out and he said, uh, well, uh, um, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to go to college and study engineering. He's oh no. He says, you don't have the ability. He says, look, we're looking at our tests and they're pretty accurate as far as we know. Billy should be a plumber or a seamstress. 
but you're not going to make it in engineering. I said, well, I'm not no one in my class. He says, I don't care. He says, these tests show that you can't be an engineer. Well, I graduated number one in my class for engineering at college. And then, like I said, I've gone on and been a, a real success in the engineering world. What a scary thought that there are people in our school system giving students advice like that. That's not the yeah. first time I've heard a story like that. Right, Adrian? Well, I, I was told what not to do because women <laughs> weren't supposed to do what I wanted to do. And what did you want to do? I wanted to be an architect. Did it try. <laughs> what worst thing that can happen to people is they, they got a goal and they try it and they fail. But that's not a big deal. You can go on after that and keep trying something else until you're a success. Don't, don't because you have a failure, don't sit on your butt and say, oh my God, my life is ruined, I'm a failure. Move on. Don't be afraid to try anything. I mean, I, I don't know how many times uh, working for Exxon, I've you know traveled, I spend about 30, 40% of my life traveling around the world for them and solving problems and you know i'd go into a plant and i'd look at the data and you know i did quickly analyze it and you know in a couple of hours and then uh, tell the manager of the plant what he'd have to do and then they would call up where i was working at it and tell them and every every time they would say you're too rash you're making the decision too quick you've got to stay on another couple of months and study it and if you're wrong, you can look for another job when you come back, okay? And I don't know how many times I was told, you can look for another job when you come back if you're not right. But it never stopped me from making those decisions. I was gonna say, Art, a lot of, uh, a lot of caregivers deal with guilt. You know, I could have done that, I should have done that, the coulda, woulda, shouldas, and uh, you know, they feel guilty that uh, maybe my life would be different. You know, I think of uh, Marlon Brando on the waterfront. I could have been a contender, you know, but he took a dive for the mob and it just ruined his world. Now he's on the docks. Uh, how do you deal with guilt? Let's say you made some choices, bad choices, and you're suffering the consequences of it, and there doesn't seem like there's any way out. You know, if you're a caregiver, now you're, you're, you're trapped with your loved one. You don't know if they're ever going to get better, and you've given up your career, you've given up your life, and you're miserable, and, and you're starting to get resentful and bitter and feeling guilty that you're resentful. And What's the hope for somebody like that, Art? Well, there always is a way out. And like I said before, uh, the problem they're having is they're dwelling on guilt or something that happened in the past or has just happened, and they think that's the end of the world. But move on because it's just part of the overall plan for you. You don't know what it is. You don't know what the, this is one piece of a puzzle that's going to fit together. And five years from now, you know, things would work out and, and you'll say, yeah, yeah, I'm happy now. And yeah, that was a bad time I went through. Well, I've been through a lot of bad times and uh, you recover and you move on and things always seem to work out. I'm not saying they work out for everybody, but you know, I think they don't work out when people give up and don't move on. They just sit there and dwell about how bad things are. I mean, yeah. you know, 
you, you go through grief for a while. Uh, I did when my father died, and um, you know I, he he was only sixty four years old, and I was living in Aruba, and I had to fly back from Aruba to see him because he was suffering with cancer, and it it just made me feel awful for uh, you know I the morning he died, I just sat down and cried. Uh, but you know I, you move on, you move on. I think it's all about resilience. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yes. and you know, the people—they all got some resilience, and they've all got the ability to move on. And if they don't move on, it's—it's it's their own fault because there's always something in the future. Now, I mean, that's that's my outlook. Always yeah, what, something good is going to happen. What doesn't what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Right. Okay, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave Show with my guest Art DeNick and my lovely co-host Adrian Gruberg. And Art, uh, it sounds like you have always thought that everything happened for a reason, even before your accident, right? Yes. This isn't something yes. that you just well, came I up mean, with, it, right? It got, it, it got put together uh -huh. in my accident and reliving my life, okay? Um, that's when I saw that everything really happens for a reason. Because now you're looking back and you're seeing your whole life flash before you. And you see why you did what you did. And like I say, when I prayed to God, judge me not on my results, but on my intentions. Yeah. Okay? Everybody says that they, uh, when they're near death or, or uh, an accident or something, that their, la their life flashes before their eyes in a split second. How does that happen? Yeah. How does a person's entire life <laughs> flash before your your mind in a split second? Does things I, just stop? Slow motion? I don't know. It just <laughs> did. And actually, you know, uh, the, the, the race car was, had rolled over three times and I kept uh, praying, uh, when will it stop? When will it stop? When will it stop? And you know, I'm gonna die. And you just see your whole life, and it's, it's first like of all, supernatural, supernatural. It was in slow motion, okay? 
the accident itself seemed like it was in slow motion and it actually only took a couple of seconds and it, i don't know how it happens but it happens here's i'm going to show you a video of the car i don't know if you can see that go back a yeah little. go back a little bit just a little bit it's uh wow. twisted and um broken and rolled over that way and you know a lot of people say you know well everybody said <laughs> you're lucky to be alive but the life flashing before you does. I don't really know how it does. It's like time stands still and you see everything yeah. done and you say, oh, my God, I made a mistake. I wish I could have done that. I wish I could have done that. And then all of a sudden you understand why you did this and why you did that. And, you know, it just it's like I said, it's the yeah. pieces of a puzzle that as you're living them look all scattered. But all of a sudden yeah. they fit together. And why do you think it all happened to you? Just to f figure it out? Or uh, what was the most significant thing that you got from that? Why were you given a second chance? I don't know. And I always figured I was given a second chance because I hadn't accomplished what I was supposed to accomplish. I figured I was put on this earth to do something. I, I really wanted to be like a, a research doctor and studying cures for cancer and things like that and that's what that's what i grew up thinking i was going to do but in biology class in second year of high school when we dissected the worm and the frog oh my god i couldn't take it i could not take it so i said to, said to myself oh you, you sorry art you're never going to be a doctor uh, but you like motors you like engines you like uh racing you like all that stuff so we'll try engineering okay so then i thought from sophomore year on i was going to be the engineer you know okay. my, my my father was a mechanic and uh customers loved him and they, they treated him like they were his doctor for the cars and so a doctor is called md and they call my father a dm a doctor of motors so you are okay. a doctor there you go right so have you ever been a caregiver? I mean, you certainly must have had a caregiver caring for you when you were, uh, you know, recovering. How long did it take you to recover? I was in the hospital for six months. Long time. You know, uh, I guess after about five months, they started the physical therapy, and the physical therapist would come in and say, okay, stand up. And I'd say, no, I can't, I can't. And so would get you up, and I just felt like I, my body was going to blow apart. And she says, no, if you ever want to get out of here, you've got to do this. She got me out, and eventually, you know, um, they started having me walk around the halls of the hospital until uh, I was well enough to get out. And then, of course, I had to go back uh, every couple of weeks, and they dumped me in a pool and do this and that and the other. But, um, yeah, uh, I say the physical therapist probably did miracles for me. Um, and you know how many bones in your body did you break yeah i only broke a couple in my arm but it was mostly the burns it was the third degree burns uh, and uh, they had to be strapped in pretty good when you when you roll over they got you strapped in pretty good huh yeah and that was one of the other things when i finished rolling over uh i you know i said oh my god i'm alive uh i got it then the, i saw the fire starting in the car and i said i got to get out of here and i it's you're you're strapped in with a five point harness. In other words, one goes up your crotch, two goes over your shoulder, around your waist. 
and there's a buckle and I'm reaching down to get it and the flames are coming up and they're burning my hand each time even though I got fireproof gloves on it's burning my hand but I said I it didn't save me to, to burn up I gotta get out of here so I finally got took the burns on uh, got the damn thing undone the, the buckle undone got out of the car and I was on fire and I was rolling on the ground and started to put the fire out and I hear people yelling support the fire extinguisher on start the fire and the other guy said it's stuck I can't get the pin out and then a, a, a 250 pound friend of mine jumped over this six foot high fence and he had the fire extinguisher and I don't know how the hell he jumped that high and got over there but he put me out and then of course the flames out and I'm sitting against the wall of the, of the side rail of the track and I'm asking my friends uh uh you know how's the car and he said don't worry about the car you're hurt I said I'm not hurt I'm not hurt I'm fine I thought I was okay okay and then the paramedics came and they said we have to cut your trousers apart and I said why they said you're burned I said I'm not burned well all of a sudden you know i saw them start to cut and then the adrenaline wore off and then i felt the pain but for i would say a couple of minutes uh <laughs> so probably so hyped up on adrenaline you don't feel the pain and i think that's why uh people say oh i you know they, they shot somebody but the guy's still coming at him it's something in your body that makes you go on and you don't feel the pain instantly. Nature's painkiller drug, yeah. <laughs> Wish we could put that in a bottle. <laughs> right. Your caregiver, when you got home, who was caring for you? And um, um, Actually, my, my ex-wife. Uh, did you or, have people visiting you in the hospital every day? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and even when I was, I had, they had trans, my wife ex-wife whatever she was at the time <laughs> uh, because i had my two kids with me at the races she <clears throat> saw me in this hospital and it was kind of a i don't know not probably really good hospital and uh she says you got to get to a burn center so she arranged for an ambulance to take me to saint barnabas burn center and then no, I, i'm digressing but I got a very bad, they put me in a tub and it got a very bad uh, staph infection. I was in intensive care for a week. But she's the one that would come around, even though we were step separated, I guess, at the time. I don't know. I think we were just separated uh, because I know she was living on there. She was the one that came around and uh, uh, made sure I was okay. That is so uh, common that, a, that an ex-spouse, isn't it, Adrian, that an ex-spouse... Yeah takes over caregiving responsibilities, you know? They hated each other, they couldn't get along with each other, they got a divorce, one of them gets sick, and, and the spouse, the ex-spouse comes back, not to be a lover or anything like that, but just to care for them, because I, I guess there must be some love and compassion still in their hearts for them, would you say, Adrian? Yeah, absolutely. The common story. You can't live together, you can't live apart, you know. Go ahead, I can't hear you. there. Amazing. Well, listen, Art, we're, we're coming up on uh, on the deadline. Is there anything else you want to share with caregivers to help them, uh, you know, get over their stress, their burnout, 
their guilt, their, um, you know, worrying about the past, fretting over the past. What's your last bit of advice for caregivers that uh, they can get from you because you went through all the pain and the experience and so that they don't have to? Just think about this is just one part of your life and you got to move on. And there's probably a lot of good things in the future if you move on and find them and try to find them. Don't dwell on your bad decisions, your pain, the everything that's happened in the past. You have to put it in the back of your mind and move on. Okay? Good advice. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for coming on the show. And if we want to get a hold of you for any reason or uh, invite you to speak somewhere or to buy your book. Uh, your book is on Amazon. What's the name of it's it again? It's on Amazon and it's currently called as fate would have it. But in a week or so, they're trying to pull it off and change the name. And I, I changed a couple of paragraphs in it and did a different intro. And they're going to change the name to choices as fate would have it. You cut out. Say it again. It's going to be choices. Out. As fate would have it. Choices as, as fate, fate would have, have it. Choices as fate would have it. And uh, they gave, gave me a website, which is uh, arctinic.com. It's A-R-T-D-I-N-I-C-K.com. And uh, it, you've got my email. If somebody wants to email me with a question or, or call me, uh, I'm, right. I'm ready right. to talk to them. And, and they can contact you on your website, too. You've got a contact page. Art yeah. Dinick. That's A R T D I N I C K dot com. Check it out, everybody. And thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate you coming in and bye bye. All right. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Keep Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.